Now, we're in week four of a series called One. We're in the book of Ephesians. Today, we're starting chapter two. I just want to read to you these ten verses. Um, if you could, anybody into kids' stories? You ever read The Ugly Duckling? I read the ugly ducking, and I always think there, there could be hope for me, right? There's still a shot. There's a swan in here somewhere. Um, this morning, we're going to read the first 10 verses of chapter 2 in Ephesians. And if you could take the story of the ugly duckling and you could kind of like pack it into a section of scripture, this is probably where you would find it. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Paul writes this As for you, and again, he's writing to people that are, we've learned this over the last couple of weeks, they are in Christ. Sounds very religious, right? But what that means is they have chosen to follow Jesus. They have chosen to not trust themselves, but to trust the work of Jesus on the cross. They are what we would call Christians, although everybody in America is a Christian, right? So let's go with the term followers of Jesus. They are following Jesus. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But, everybody say but. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages... He might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me give you the big idea right up front. It's at the top of your sheet. You can fill these blanks in. And I'm going to give you two implications, and then we're going to be done. Here's the big idea. God chooses us in spite of to use us in light of. Everybody say, huh? You're supposed to be a little bit lost there. It'll make more sense as as we go along. Let me say it again. God chooses us in spite of to use us in light of. When we read those 10 verses, the one thing that we hear in those verses is you hear a lot of movement. You don't hear a lot of, hey, you're done. You hear a lot of movement. You were, you are, you will be. That's kind of what's going on in these 10 verses. And and next week we'll get into more of chapter 2. You'll see that all the way through the entire chapter, chapter 2 of Ephesians, there's this movement from what we were to what we are to what we're going to become. He chooses us in spite of who we are, to use us in light of who he is. That's really good news. And here's what it means. Two implications, all right? Just two. I'm going to try not to talk a lot because I don't want to get in the way of these. I just want to kind of sit in your mind, in your heart. You think about it. Here's implication number one. Who you are is greater than who you were. Think about that. That's really good news. Who you are, unless you were a millionaire in your former life, I don't know, but who you are is greater than who you were. Now, we are weird people, right? Just look at the person next to you, and you'll be reminded. We are weird people. 
You go into any bookstore, Barnes and Nobles, Books a Million, any bookstore, Amazon online, and you start looking at all the titles, here's what you'll find out right away. We don't, we don't know what to do with the past. We have no idea what to do with the past. We, we, go to, we think, should, should we talk about it? And if we do talk about it, should I pay somebody to talk to them about it? Do I need to get counseling? What do I do with my past, right? We don't, we, then we get saved. We come to the church. We, we still kind of have it hanging around. It's like bad breath. You can't get rid of it, right? You just keep popping mints, and it's just still there. People are like, dude, your breath is horrible. And it's like, I, I just brushed my teeth five times. And Jay's always like, did you brush down in the back where you want to throw up when you do it, right? That's what our past is like. We just can't quite get rid of it. It's like this nagging thing. And every time we, we do something good for God, we feel like there's this thing pulling us back. We don't know what to do with it. I, I love... Mark Driscoll, he, um, he's a pastor out Mars Hill Church in Seattle. He had a woman tell him this in so many words. She said, my past may explain me, but it does not define me. That's really good. Like That's, that's kind of like I could stop talking and be done good. My past may explain me, but it does not define me. By the way, when pastors say that, they never stop talking. Have you noticed that? They say, that's really good. We could just stop right here. But they never stop right there. Some of that. What do we do with our past? So we're in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul mentions our past. He says, as for you, he's talking to you. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. And right there, if Paul was like most of us, he would have just stopped, right? I don't want to talk too much about my past. Just Let's just suffice it to say that I was dead in my transgressions and sins. And then everybody in the church goes, amen. What, what does that mean? Have any idea what that means? And so Paul's not like us. Paul's not going to a counselor. He's not trying to figure out what to do with his past. He knows what to do with his past, so he actually expounds on that. And here's what he tells us. This is what he tells us that we were. I'm just going to walk you through verses 1, 2, and 3. We're dead in transgressions and sins. What does that mean? It means that we are living in disobedience. How many of you have kids? Raise your hand. Don't you love it when they're disobedient? No. Nobody pulls their kid aside and says, stop obeying me. Like when I tell you to clean your room, trash it. Just step out in disobedience. These are phrases we never hear. Just step out in disobedience, man. Nobody likes disobedience. We don't like it when people disobey us at all. And when you, you, you think you're cool with it, and then you become a parent. And you're like, your kids disobey you, and you become possessed. It's like your veins bulge out, you know. I used to dis- disobey my parents just to watch the reaction. It was great. That's what we were. We, we not only were, we lived in disobedience. This is what we were. If you're dead in your sins, if you're dead in your transgressions, you are disobedient. How's that feel? Not good. Not good. You're, you're living in disobedience. I love this. He says that we were feeding the cravings of a sinful nature. What do you crave? Late at night, I crave gummy snacks. We don't rarely have them because I'll eat them. If it's 1130 and I'm starting to doze off watching the news, it's like, give me some Swedish fish, like a couple hundred. I'll just start popping them like drugs. Sometimes I crave, like lately, we crave burgers. You know, you're just sitting there watching TV. It's 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and you're like, man, a burger would be good right now. Thankfully, it's like minus 5 degrees. 
so we don't go get it. Because I'm like, yeah, that'd be good, but I'm not getting out there. What do you crave? This, this verse says, it says that we feed the cravings of a sinful nature. Um, this is going to rhyme. I'm not trying to make cute poetry, but we are kind of slaves to the crave, aren't we? That says we live as slaves to the crave. And we don't crave good things. We crave sinful things. Uh, is you okay if I go there? This, this is the guy that watches porn. And when he's done says, God, what am I doing? And then the next night watches porn. And says, what am I doing? I can't stop. God, I'll never do it again. God, just kill me. And he really means it. And then the next night, he watches porn. This is the woman. I know I'm stereotyping, okay? So trust me, women can look at porn and men can gossip. I'm just making it easy for you, okay? This is the woman that gossips. And she walks away and feels like dirt because she just talked her friend under the bus. And she's like, oh, God, what am I doing? My mouth. Stop. And then the next conversation, she does it again. And then she goes, I'm not talking to people about this anymore. So she posts it on Facebook. And we can't stop. And why can't we stop? Because we are slaves to the crave. Because we were. This is what we were. We fed the cravings of a sinful nature. Verse 3 says that we were slaves to the leading of that sinful nature. You ever just been a slave to something? You don't have a choice. I'm not letting you off the hook. Like, we're still responsible. But when you're the slave of something, you go where that person tells you to go. You do what that person tells you to do. This is our life when we're in sin. And then the worst of all, verse 3, he says that we were destined for wrath as objects of wrath. Dang. Nobody teaches this stuff in kids' Sunday school. Like you were created as an object of wrath. That just does not sound good. But this is what Paul says we were. This is what we were. We were objects of wrath, but something happened because we weren't left in that place. And I love this. I love, I wanted to name this sermon, I like big butts. Because that's a big butt. We describe all the things that we were, and then Paul goes, but. And that's a big but. It's a good but. Because it's all the bad things, but something happened. We weren't left there. Something happened, and guess what happened? God chose you. He chose you. He chose me. Yesterday, I got to marry Derek and Melissa. It was awesome. I love weddings. You know what makes weddings great? Weddings, well, here's what makes weddings sad first. What makes weddings sad is that a preacher stands here with a man and a woman who desperately, madly love each other. And we're having this little triangle of love moment. And then you look beyond them and see a room full of people who are smiling because they love them. But they kind of got this look like, oh, God, let it work. Am I ruining weddings for you now? Because what happens is you got these people that love each other and in their Behind them are just rows and rows and rows of people who really do love each other, but it ain't working out like they thought it would. Because the people behind them know that as soon as they get home from the honeymoon and unpack their bags, they're going to find that they have other bags. We all get married with baggage, don't we? 
And when you're in love and you get married, this is really good for all of you that are kind of young and in love. When you get in love, you're like, I don't have baggage. And I don't care if you have baggage. I love you. You're the sexiest serial killer I've ever known. (laughs) We'll work it out, baby. Come on. Just, you don't get to use the knives. It's all good. But the best marriages, the best marriages are when a, a man and a woman come to the altar and they stand before God and they've already talked about their baggage. They already know. They're not blind by love. They already know. They're prepared. There's a foundation. They know the worst about each other as much as they can to that point. Because I'm hoping, you know, like at that point you hadn't spent the night together. So you haven't really smelled the breath in the morning. And that's bad. But you know some bad stuff. You know, when we date, we put our best foot forward, right? When we get married, we take that foot back. Like, yeah, but this is the other foot. I <laughs> got you now, right? This is the foot that cusses out the waiter when I don't get my food, right? We do that kind of stuff. But if we know the, the worst about each other, the best marriages are when we know the worst and we still choose to marry. It's a covenant relationship. Let's take that into church. The best churches are the churches that you know everything's not right. But you're like, but I like this place. I like these people. I'm not in it for me. It's a covenant. When we know the worst and we still choose it, that's what God did. Look at the person next to you. We just described them. They are a jerk. They were dead. They lived in disobedience. They were slaves to the crave. They had no choice but to do whatever they were told And it was never a good thing. They were objects of wrath. I mean, when's the last time you looked at your spouse and said, I love you, but you are an object of wrath? That's who they were. And in light of all of that, in spite of all of that, God chose them. God chose you. That's so good. That's such good news. God chooses us in spite of all that we were. shows the greatness of God's mercy. It says that he saw something in us that others didn't. And we won't see it in others either unless we're looking spiritually. God saw something in you that nobody else saw. Transformations, when we're that bad, the transformation is that much more amazing. And that's why Paul didn't just say, hey, we were dead. All right, let's move to the good stuff. Because Paul knew that the good that we are now is good because of the bad that we were then. How bad we were just showed how great God was. The transformation that we just watched, I mean, that's emotional and it's moving. You, you know the whole backstory. I mean, this guy was married. His first wife died of cancer. And he promised his, his daughters that he would be there to walk them down the aisle. And then he became like a blimp. And he lost all his weight. That's why he said, I'm going to keep my promise. This is the whole transformation. And what makes that so amazing is that we just go, wow. Like he was, now he's like totally different. I brought some some pictures just to have a little fun with you, okay? Just talking about transformations. Um, When they're dramatic, when they're life-altering, all that stuff. um, 
they're fun. So we've got a couple. I'm going to put up an old picture, see if you can kind of guess who it is. And then who, anybody know who that is? Anybody got an idea? You know, George Clooney? Yeah, let's see. Ding, 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 ding. You win, George Clooney. Now that's a transformation, right? I've got, I've got a couple more, four more. Let's keep going. Anybody know? Have you seen any? Have you, all of you people, you're like on your smartphones. I know who that is. Just give me a second. Hold on. Go ahead. Thanks, Jennifer Lopez. Uh, we've got a few more. Oh, that's, what? Is that me? No, I'm kidding. Just kidding. It's Megan Fox. What does the, wh- hey. So, you know, we just learned, what does the fox say? Makeover, please. <laughs> right. Um, Taylor Swift. And then here's my favorite one. Hold on. Somebody know that one? Say it if you know it. That's Ryan Seacrest. Yeah. So here's the thing about makeovers, right, and about transformations. Um, I I wish I could just get some of your pictures as a kid. That would be fun, wouldn't it? If I showed you my pictures as a kid and I showed you my picture now, you'd be like, you're still ugly. What's the change, right? But those are so dramatic, aren't they? I mean, you just, like, look at them and go, like, no way. There's no way that's Ryan Seacrest. Are you kidding me? Because that's kind of what transformations do. And, And I guess what I want you to see right now is that who you are is so much greater than who you were. We, we were all those things, dead and sin, slaves. We were all those things. But you know what you are now in Christ? Now you are alive. Now you are raised up. Now you are saved by the grace of God, and you are seated at the best seat. Man, that's good stuff. That's what God did for us in Christ. Without a doubt, we are now greater than who we were then. And we could stop there. And it would be pretty good, but most of us do stop there. Here's the second implication. Who you'll be is greater than who you are. Now, it's not enough to be chosen. It's not enough to be saved. And for a lot of us, it is. We, we act like that's kind of the end of the journey. And what happens is we, be, we come, become full of pride. Well, I wasn't what I was. Somebody calls you out on something, dude, why are you still killing people? Well, I'm not killing as many. You should have known me last week when I was killing everybody. Right? So, like, we start comparing. Well, I'm okay now because I'm, not, I'm nothing like what I was. Yeah, but what you are now is nothing like what God wants you to be. He's always moving us more into the image of Jesus Christ. Who you'll be is greater than who you are. Um, I like to think of it like this. Don't want to offend you. It just helps me wrap my brain around it. God did not save you to be his trophy wife. But we act like that. I make God look good. He hates pride. He didn't save you just to sit there and be pretty to make him look good. He's already good. He saved you for a purpose. He saved us for a reason. He saved us to use us. He chose us in spite of who we were to use us in light of who he is. This is who God is. Verse 4. 
I'm just going to go through. I'll give you the verses, the references. You can just write them down. God is full of love for us. You'll hear a lot of times preachers will preach and they'll say stuff like this. God doesn't really love you. He doesn't really need you. It's all about God. It's not about man. And all that's kind of true. I mean, I get that. But it says plainly in verse 4, but because of his great love for who? Us. So that big butt that we were talking about that we all love today, I like that big butt, it's all because of his great love for us. He could have left us like we were, but because of his great love, because we have a God who loves us that much. Who is God? He's full of love for us. He's rich in mercy, verse 4. He's richer in grace, verse 7. His incomparable richness of grace. He's generous in salvation, verse 8. And maybe the one, I'm scared to even say it because we're so like, what? I tell you, look at people next to you all the time, but do it again. Just take a peek at them. God is an artist with our lives. He's an artist with our lives. Right now what you're thinking is he needs to spend a little bit more time on the person next to me. He's an artist. Verse 10 says that we are his workmanship, his handiwork. He's transformed us to a point, and now he's transforming us beyond it. And I love that. If you're in Christ, he's making you a masterpiece. I want to make sure that you you get this. If I really believe that God has saved me to make me his masterpiece, then it changes a lot of how I think about where I am, doesn't it? It changes a lot about where I think you are in the process. Like, if I let you down, or you let me down, or maybe it's too easy in the church, let's go in the family. Your spouse loves Jesus, and you love Jesus, and they let you down. They do something that really ticks you off. Not that that ever happens in marriage. I'm just throwing an example out there, right? And it's so easy to judge in that moment. Huh, you ever heard somebody say to you, I thought you were a Christian? Yeah, I thought, huh, wow, thought you were a Christian. Now you're talking ugly to me. That's, what, that's our comeback, right? When what our comeback should be, according to this verse, is, man, if you love Jesus, i got to say I'm so thankful that he's not finished with you yet. He's not finished with me either. Like, I have a lot of hope that, you know, I know that who I am today, I'll be better the next, I'll be better in the future, and so will you. Hallelujah. I mean, at least that, at least there's some hope in the process, right? It changes how we see one another. The God who, who saves by grace ends up having a bunch of little kids running around living by grace. That's how you live by grace. You can't read the first ten verses of Ephesians chapter 2 and not walk away going, there's a lot of grace in there. Like, we were dead. Dead men can't do anything, right? You're dead, you're dead. And, and when we were dead, by God, by his grace, saved us, transformed us, raised us up, seated us at the best seats. He transformed us. We were dead. We could do nothing to deserve that. That's grace. And if we live by grace, then when other people aren't quite measuring up, we don't kill them. We say, here's some grace. Because according to this passage, God's not quite done with you yet. He's still chiseling. 
grace. In light of who God is, we find ourselves allowing him to change us, to shape us, and to use us. Um, this is In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes about this. Here's what he says to his readers. Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of, in light of, in view of God's mercy. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. See, light changes things, doesn't it? You ever stumbled around in the dark, and then somebody turned the light on, and you went, oh, I'm glad you turned on just now, because I was very close to my death. Right? I was going to bump into a knife or go over a cliff. I mean, you find all, light comes on, it changes everything. Sometimes in the light of who God is, it changes stuff for us. And in light of God's great mercy, our only response is, just take my life. Just use me. However you want to use me, I trust you, God. I trust you because I was dead. I had no shot, and you saved me. And now, just chisel away at me, God. Shape me, use me, whatever you need to do for your glory. In light of God's great mercy, we offer ourselves as sacrifices to God. It's nuts to think about it unless we trust God. Over the rest of Ephesians, here's what we'll see. This theme will come out more and more. That God's preparing us. He's transforming us. We'll see at the end of chapter 2 that somehow he takes a bunch of dead people in this room, people that were dead, people that were slaves to sin. He saves us. And not only does he save us, but he starts to put us together. Anybody like jigsaw puzzles? Sorry, I don't. He starts to put us together, and it fits perfectly. It's not like when I do a jigsaw puzzle, I'm like, I'm going to make that piece go in there, right? It fits. Like somehow we all start to fit together. A bunch of nasty, old, disgusting, self-centered sinners that God in his great mercy and grace saves he says to us hey who you were who who you are is greater than who you were but who you'll be is greater than who you are and I'm going to put you together like a family and you're going to be at the end of Ephesians chapter 2 this awesome temple built to the glory of God the only way for that to happen is for us just to trust God, here's our takeaway for just, for just for this morning. We are always becoming greater than we are now. This is hard to wrap your brain around. I'm going to try to explain it in a way that makes sense. Your best days with Jesus are always ahead of you. Who you'll be is greater than who you are. Now, let me tell you before we wrap this up, because I'm almost done, why this is so hard for us to grasp, okay? And and I'll... I, Figured this out at the hospital Friday with Peggy Hughes. So I get to the hospital, and she's in the emergency room, and I walk in, and she's, she's just sitting there, and she's kind of, t- she's kind of crying. And I, I held her hand, and I said, Miss Peggy, how are you doing? She said, I'm just I'm tired. I hurt. And I told her what I was studying. I said, I'm getting ready for Sunday, and, and I just got to tell you this, Miss Peggy. And she said, what? I said, your best days are ahead of you. And she kind of looked at me like, you don't know what it's like to be this old. And I said, that's hard to hear, isn't it? And she said, kind of. I said, you know why that's hard to hear? Because we're so focused on our body. I'm close to the age now where things are going to stop working. 
at least stop working as well as they did. And if I'm so focused on me and my life and my body and getting my way, there's no way I believe that my best days are ahead of me. But who is he talking to in Ephesians? People who are in people who are in Christ. He says at the beginning of the book that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so I told Miss Peggy, I said, here's the thing. Even though you're at the place where your body's not working like it should, and physically I'd be a fool to tell you that your best days are ahead of you, spiritually your best days are ahead of you. Like you've probably never been this close to Jesus. You've never felt this strong in Jesus. And she said, you're right. And she just starts to cry. Listen, do not fall for the lie that your body and spirit are always tied together. There becomes a, there's a day when we'll say to this body, see ya, because our spirit will live forever. Your best days will never be ahead of you if you see with natural eyes. But the minute that you see with the eyes of the spirit, you'll start saying things like, wait a second, like, I can't move my legs like I used to. But my spirit is more alive with Jesus than it ever has been. And I'm just being really, really honest. That's a tough sell. That's a tough sell to a, a, a country that's crazy about our bodies. So I, I, I'm all about my body. Let's go get it inked, right? Let's pick out the tat and let's get it done. I'm going to get a piercing. It's going to look awesome. I'm, and I, this is like kind of our canvas, and we're going to show the world what we think about ourselves by the things we put on it. I get it. I totally get it. And so you try to make a cell of your spirit is so, so much more important. Your spirit is so much more important. And it's cool. Paul says, you know what? Physical training is good for a while, but at some point, no more. But your spirit lives forever. Value that. Because that's what Jesus loves about you. So when you look at the person next to you, do it again one more time. If you're married, if you're married, sometimes it's hard to look past that person that just ticked you off on the drive to church and see the spirit inside that person. But I'm going to tell you right now, God sees the spirit of that person and he says, man, who you are today is a whole lot better than what you were, but who you're going to be is so much more than what you are right now. He is in love with you. He is crazy about your soul and your spirit. And when we start to see one another like that, that's when this awesome, powerful thing happens in the church. God chooses us in spite of, to use us in light of. Here's the reality. Only God would have chosen me. Only God would have chosen you. I mean, I know that I chose Wendy and she chose me, but it's because we never had dates where I looked at her and said, I'm an object of wrath, baby. The best you ever can get from me is a porn-addicted dude sitting in front of the computer. We never had those conversations because you don't think spiritually. If she knew the most, if she knew all that about me, my spirit, if she would, there's no way. She's like, throw him away, I'll get another guy. 
But God knew all that. The only person who had ever chosen you is God. Because he's the only one that really knows you. His choice is the one that matters the most. And the fact that he chose me, the fact that he chose you, means this, that we could be a room full of ugly ducklings, and we probably are. Not physically, okay? Y'all are looking fantastic. But spiritually, from what we just read in Ephesians chapter 2, we were a room full of spiritual ugly ducklings. And the only person who could possibly transform us was God. And the good news is, he chose us. He chose us. He chose you. God is a God of transformations. He's a God of makeovers. And while I know we are not where we will be, we are so much farther from where we were. And it's all because of one thing, God's amazing grace. I'm so thankful that he chooses us like that.